All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thanks for joining us here now into April draft month, and the Bills have been a little busy. The uh, the last time we chatted, it was the Von Miller extravaganza where we had uh, your friend and mine, Matt Beauvais, on the program. And we discussed what it meant, what it means moving forward, everything like that. But now we're kind of shifting more into the draft realm. And lo and behold, a few hours before we pressed record on this episode, the Bills hit us with another big nugget of news. So I wasn't going to do this alone. And we actually had planned to have this person on the podcast before the Diggs news broke. But it's good to have her on the show all the same. So my guest today is Elena Gatzenberg. She covers the Bills for ESPN. She uh, has done a great job in her first year and an excellent reporter, an excellent human, and she doesn't take herself too seriously. So those are three little uh, three little attributes that I think would be perfect for the pod. So Elena, thanks for making your debut on the Buffalo Beat today. What an introduction. <laughs> I don't even know like what to say to that. Other than that, Matt Bobet is everyone's friend. I feel like it's a good follow-up to that. What a guy. But thank you for having me on, Joe. It is an honor. And I don't I, I don't know what to say after that introduction, but what a day we have picked uh, to chat about the Bills. I know. Um, and, you know, Elena and I also have a shared bond of crappy reality television so we really get along well so that that uh, may or may not filter in throughout the episode who the hell knows but we're just gonna we're we're just gonna flow here and uh obviously where do we start off other than the the digs um the digs deal extending through the 2027 season the bills haven't officially confirmed it yet but wink wink nudge nudge it's a it's basically a done deal, just kind of waiting for him to sign the dang thing. So the Bills are in the camp of a lot of different other teams that they have their top receiver locked up into a long time and for a lot of freaking money. So, you know, we'll just kind of keep this open-ended. What was the first thing that kind of popped out to you about this deal, when it happened, everything like that, whatever, wherever you want to take it? Well, I will say the first thing that popped up was, oh, I need to get up <laughs> because I was still in bed and I had and I was like, OK, time time to get to work. Um, that, was, that was the first thing. But then after that, I mean, I think with this whole thing, it was kind of when, not if, you know, this was almost inevitable. There was no way he was going to play for what he was under contract for. I mean, it was actually kind of, you know, when you look at the wide receivers getting paid this offseason, sort of ridiculous the amount. Um, his current contract was for. So this was inevitable. Um, I think it makes sense. It'll, I mean, it seems like it'll save cap room this year, which makes sense. And it makes a certain Josh Allen <laughs> a very happy quarterback, which is priority number one for the Bills. So overall, I think it made a lot of sense. Wish they would have done it maybe not so early in the morning. You know, my <laughs> colleague Adam Schefter had to like get us going at a <laughs> very early hour. But again, inevitable and I think you look at the numbers and it, you know, we're still details still to come. It's too early to dive into that part, but I, it all checks out. Like, I think it all checks the boxes, makes sense and good for the bills, you know, for Brandon B getting it done before the draft for sure. Side note to Diggs before we, we jump all the way into it. Is it, you've, you've been uh, working at ESPN for a little, uh, 
or close to a year now. Is it weird that to say your colleague all, Adam Joe. Schefter? <laughs> I have been close to a year. Uh, no. <laughs> close to. It's, it's like, like seven eight months. months or something like that. Is it eight months? My God, I started in something. September. Everyone, so time is okay. I'm I might be a, a couple months off, but is it still weird to say colleague Adam Schefter? Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is as it was coming out of my mouth. I was like, hey, well, how do I describe him? And that's what came out. But yes, it is very weird. And I've only met him in person one time, which makes it all so much weirder. But <laughs> and colleague is a weird word in general. But yes, he yeah. is my colleague. And there he is breaking news I, at I, 7 something a.m. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Like the, the people that are, you know, technically my coworkers at The Athletic, it's like, yeah, they're my coworker. Never met him. Never will. But uh, but yeah, this it's it's all happening. They, they do great work over in freaking seattle <laughs> no idea it's, but it's anyway. very strange it's very strange and then to see them on tv too and to be like right oh yeah like i guess like we chat like on twitter and it's all very strange but yes yeah uh, maybe yeah. one day i'll think of a better word for him but colleague worked <laughs> in the moment so i think it works perfectly but i digress thank you thank you uh, um back to the the digs chatter um i think that this deal is a very smart one just in the timing of it more than anything because you know as you alluded to we don't have the contract details or anything like that but um they got him to a point where they knew it wasn't going to be a problem like they they had to remove all of these variables from the 2022 season because they're basically putting everything into this upcoming year because of how important it is to uh, the overall push to finally win a Super Bowl in Buffalo and with this current structure of the team. And knowing that this could be something that's a pitfall if they don't take care of it quickly enough, then that's something that they just, it was kind of a non-starter to have that kind of hovering over uh, their locker room, their organization, things like that, because it would just be constantly a, a talking point. You know, people would read into every freaking tweet that Stefan Diggs would ever send. Um, and you know what? A lot of it is to the point where he was justified in wanting to get paid more because the two receivers that were making as much per year, or he was sandwiched in between, was Robbie Anderson, who makes a little bit more than him, and Corey Davis, who makes, I think, like, a, who made like a mil and a half uh, less per year than Stefan Diggs. That's not really the, the type of receiver that he is. He was due for a pay raise. He wanted to know what he was worth. And I think more than anything, Elena, it signified to me something that they've been trying to cultivate so strongly over the past five years is that they want this good relationship, the synergy between the front office and the locker room to where they don't want their marquee players asking questions about whether or not that they're going to get their payday in Buffalo. It's never a question of that. They take care of their own, and the more that they do that for others, the more the guys in the locker room pay attention to that. So that's why I kind of think that this right now was the right move, and especially it happened before all those other like big-name fourth-year receivers are about to get freaking paid this, this year or this summer. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I would also say, like, I think you could make the argument if this had continued, like you said, obviously, we, I'm so done with the cryptic Stefan Diggs tweets. May they, <laughs> may they die somewhere and, like, 
please stop reading into his tweets. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's a, he's a smart individual. So, but I think you can make the argument that I think we're waiting on contract to all those specifics, but he probably could have done a Tyreek Hill and like demanded a trade and, you know, not been happy with the situation and gotten more elsewhere. Like, I think there's a good argument for that because he is one of the top wide receivers in the NFL, but instead, you know, it makes, it just makes sense. And the timing, like you said, makes sense. Now there's, I mean, did Brandon Bean accomplish I feel like he accomplished almost everything. I like was like, they should do this, 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 and this, this off season. Like he's just making his way down the list. So yes, the timing makes sense. Um, and I, I do think that like we're seeing wide receivers, they want their money. They want to get paid justifiably. So, and I think to lock him down in this way for it's a lot of money, but it actually like, it might end up being pretty reasonable. Um, it, it just fits. It just, I, I think it was smart all the way around. What's kind of blown me away about this offseason is that there have been five new entrants at the wide receiver position alone to crack the 20 million or more average value, which is insane. I mean, and it's not even like the names are great. Of course, there's Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, who are two of the best at their position, and they're making north of 28 to 30 million per year on on their contracts. Um, But you've got guys like Mike Williams, who just signed for 20 mil a year with the Chargers. Chris Godwin, who's really good, but is coming off a torn ACL. He's in the 20 million club. DJ Moore, who you covered down in Carolina. He's really good, but uh, he's now in the 20 million club. Christian Kirk just got near the 20 million club at, at 18 million. So it's not exactly what it what it used to be. And the Bills, because they did it right now, two years left to go on on his contract, they were able to spread out that money enough to where it kind of makes both parties happy because on uh, for the four years of his extension, it, it'll read, and, and I think the numbers from Ian Rappaport were 96 plus incentives over four years, which equals out to 24 per year. Um, but over the, the span of the deal, with the money he's owed right now, it comes out to like, 124 which is a little over 20 million per year which is a pretty good deal for them considering what happened with Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams not too long ago yeah and it also I think one you know one interesting part of this too is it's this year right like if let's say they didn't get this done I do wonder if Diggs would have like not been at camp and like you know like if they had really let this stretched out and We've seen they this year they view this year in a certain way. Like this is a big mm-hmm. this is a big year. And I think like you you referenced the distraction part of it, like not letting this influence the team at all. I think it speaks again. Obviously, it's more long term. It's a long term deal, but this year specifically, Stefan Diggs is good. He's paid. Moving on. Like I think that's important for 2022 and how highly they view this season. I mean, he's obviously a huge part of that, but he's you know to get that done we've seen training camp distractions be an issue for other teams and whether or not Diggs would have done that if it had reached that point it's a little bit of a question mark but they didn't let it get there and I think that's another important part because that would have been like everything and Josh would have been upset you know like it would have been all these factors and they got to just cross that off and get it get it done yeah I want to cycle back to the distraction part of it in a second because I think there's like a compelling side subject to it. Um, But 
when you look at actually i just completely lost my train of thought it'll come back to me so let's go to the distraction part. <laughs> um let's do it because they it's it's been kind of weird this off season because a lot of these distractions and side stories and the controlling the controllables and getting rid of the things that they cannot control has been kind of a a sneaky aspect to this offseason. I mean, obviously getting Diggs to agree to a contract extension to make sure he's happy, the whole team's happy, and that it's not hovering over the roster is, is one of the examples. But like, you know, they released Cole Beasley, and that's that's a piece to this. You know, they released some other players that haven't really, um, that haven't curried some favor publicly, like Star Latule. Um, They just kind of moved on from him, even though it wasn't really fiscally advantageous to them <laughs> to do so this year. Uh, and it, it all kind of stems to me as maybe, and they also re-added two guys that that people just love from a few years ago in Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. So it, it kind of feels to me that they wanted to turn the clock back a little bit and try and find that unique energy from when they really started to push forward as a franchise within the locker room. And I don't know if likable is the right term, but it kind of seems like fans have a better chance of being like overwhelmingly, oh yeah, this team is it. Like there's there's not those certain distractions from one side or the other uh, for whatever reason it is. And I think that's been a low-key intelligent thing that they've done this offseason. I actually think that's a really interesting point um, because one thing I think that got lost in last season, obviously there was a lot to unpack from last season, but I think one oh, yeah. thing that got lost was, you know, I remember, and this really stuck out to me, I remember Dawson Knox at the end of the season, like he was talking about how that Tampa game, that game they lost in the second half, they staged the comeback and there was all that, you know, it was a crazy comeback, but they didn't end up winning in overtime, all that. Um, he talked about how, like, that was the first time, like, the team, or, like, maybe not the first time, but that was a time when the team, like, felt like a team and, like, they really got, like, their energy was there on the sidelines and all that. And I think it's too much of a jump to be, like, oh, those guys, they released, you know, bad vibes mm-hmm. or, like, sure. anything Absolutely. like that. But I think, to your point, like, those – I think it took too long last season like that. There were a couple of losses that were like, man, if they had pulled off that Jaguars game or a couple others, they would have been hosting in the playoffs sooner um, or longer, maybe is a better way of saying it. But is, you know, was, did it take too long to get that energy, to have that vibe in the locker room till the second half of the Tampa Bay game that was late in the season. So I think like bringing in those vibes that you, you know, Shaq Lawson, I, you were the one who was like, Oh, you can't wait to check out Shaq's personality. Cause I didn't know double him. audio. <laughs> Cause I didn't know him super well. So I think it's those intangibles. Like, yes, it's pleasing the fans, but I also think it's a locker room thing. Like you want yeah. certain vibes in the locker room and we're going to leave COVID not, you know, we won't get into that. But like, I do think there is a certain vibe maybe they're looking for in the locker room and having guys in there who understand what Sean McDermott want and no players already there. I think that you can't really quantify that. Like that's not a, there's no stat for that, but I do think it's, you know, that's what stands out to me where you're like, you're bringing these guys back 
okay, maybe we're trying to establish a vibe that wasn't there early enough last season. The the term that McDermott often uses for this is a glue guy. Um, and they, they've used it. They He does. It's, was that it's, your Sean McDermott voice? Like, what was that? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't even know what the, what the hell that was. Uh, maybe it was like it. partially Buddy Nick's residual. Like, here's a guy. that Like, that sort of thing. But uh, no, I, I, yeah, that's not my Sean McDermott. Um, I would love to hear you, Sean McDermott. I don't, I don't know that I, I don't, I don't know that I have that in the back pocket. That's a shame. Uh, so they, they do have these glue guys that McDermott calls, and like Isaiah McKenzie is one of those who they brought back. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Kumro is another one of those that they brought back. Ike Butker is another one of those that they brought back, even though they didn't have to bring back Ike, but- Ike Butker because he's coming off a you know, ruptured Achilles, his second of his career, his playing career. Um, and then on top of that, you, you know, Taiwan Jones is another guy. He used to be a, a special teams captain. They brought him back, even though he's like, what, 33, 34 years old at this point in his career. Um, there's just these certain elements to the locker room that they like to have. And obviously you want your stars all to, you know, get along and and be able to do things that way. But you know, Deion Dawkins' personality is pretty important, just just along with his playing ability. Shaq Lawson signed for veteran minimum, but he he goes back like all the way to like prep school with with uh, Deion Dawkins, and so there's like relationships there. And anytime anyone comes away from a conversation with Shaq Lawson, they just kind of like shake their head, laugh, and walk away. He's he's that sort of guy that just kind of brings maybe an, an easiness to the locker room. And Phillips is is a lot in the same way, and he's he uplifts his um his teammates a bunch. So there's you know there's there's a lot to be said for you know trying to rebuild that that locker room synergy and not having things get stale. I think that's that's the way that I wanna I wanna think about this because it almost felt because they really didn't change much mm-hmm. from twenty to twenty one. It almost felt like they had to resuscitate the um, the energy a little bit to what you kind of talked about too, that it almost took too late and they almost lost their season because of it. So I, I, I find that kind of compelling about this offseason. Yeah, I will say to that, just to add to that point, I think we focus understandably and justifiably so on the on-field part of Von Miller and what that does for that defensive mm-hmm. line. But like when I think of Von Miller and like other people around the league have reached out and said, you know, what it's even going to be like to be covering a guy like Von Miller. But like from a locker room standpoint, I mean, I don't know if it gets much better. Like from what like it seems like all of his teammates love him. And like, I mean, you think of those young guys on the defensive line, like for, to look up to Von Miller, like it's, <laughs> he's someone to me that like maybe you lose a Harrison Phillips and all that, but like adding Von Miller to the locker room, it goes along those lines to me. Yeah. And a really freaking good player beside you. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that whole thing. Um, yeah. And, and he's still got it by the way. He uh, he's, it was a lot of fun to watch his film from this past year. He is uh, he's a hellraiser is the best way I can put it. Um, very interested to see how they they work him in and like different schematic things, but that's another conversation for another day. So the the digs thing is done. Uh, 
I guess this is a good segue into maybe the draft a little bit because one of I'm sure you read a lot of reaction from fans just as just as much as I do is one of the big positions that people want to see addressed maybe even with the first round pick is wide receiver. Now, I'm curious on your thoughts whether or not you think that this kind of takes it out of the equation because the Diggs contract angle was part of the justification for it. But now that's off the table. So, you know, I'm, I'm just curious where, where your mind is after after the Diggs kind of thing settles in. That's an interesting point. And I don't know if this is like a, a hot take or... <laughs> but Ooh, we love hot takes. I don't, know, I don't know if it is, but I don't think it plays a factor at all. Um, yeah. I don't... To me, if the Diggs got done or if it didn't get done, I personally I think I don't know I don't think I would in an ideal world I mean it all depends on the draft and all that but I don't I don't wouldn't draft a wide receiver in the first round is I guess where I'm mm. coming back to um I think they I think they should add a wide receiver um and I think they need to desperately but at 25 to me um I I would invest elsewhere I think they they can find other things. They could trade back. I think there's more value to be had. And because I think, I mean, Stefan Diggs was a day three pick. I think there's wide receivers to be found later in the draft to me. Um, and I would invest, I think cornerback is more important. I know you're all in on the running back thing <laughs> in the first hang, round, apparently. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm not so, all in on it. I, I am just into <laughs> alternative thinking. And rather than, you know, just everyone kind of being, you know, being of the same mind heading into the draft because, and we'll get back to receiver in a little bit, but I got to, I got to defend my <laughs> running back thing here. Okay. The, I've seen, the, uh, I've watched too much Christian McCaffrey and lack thereof of Christian McCaffrey to ever be in favor of a running back in the first round. Yeah, that, but that was like, what, top 10, top 12. Uh, this is, this is a lot different in, in my estimation because the money is a lot different um the overall i guess push to get that player on the field and and surround uh the entire team around that player is a bit different it's just it's just an entirely different world in 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 my mind from the mccaffrey to you know whatever uh <laughs> Brees hall at, at 25 if it, what if that ends up being the case but i'm just more into the idea of like alternative draft thinking because I think this year for them, and this this goes to your wide receiver point too, like this this year is, I think for me, since Bean and McDermott took over, it's the biggest wild card draft year that they've ever had. Like they, this is as complete a roster as they have right now. And I know everyone's going to yell cornerback. They need a cornerback. Why don't they get a cornerback? Why, why don't they ever get a cornerback? But like they haven't invested in the position outside of Tredavious White. And it just makes me wonder whether or not they truly believe it's that damning of a need as, as everybody else does. So because of all of those other things, you look at every other position, you know, everyone kind of has an answer. They've got two safeties. They've got two linebackers. They've got a full room of a defensive line. They have a starting offensive line. They've got their top four wide receivers. They've got a running back. They've got their quarterback, obviously. They've got a tight end. Like This is, this is as complete a roster for 2022 as you'll find. And that's why I think this thing is so much more wide open than cornerback or wide receiver. 
And truth be told, I'm having a difficult time trying to peg them down this year. But I don't think that we should be ruling out things just based on the fact that they don't have anything other than Dane Jackson at cornerback or Jamison Crowder at slot receiver. Just And and you made a great point. Stephon Diggs was a day three receiver. Gabriel Davis, another day three receiver that they got. So And Sean McDermott has kind of even said along the same lines, like, yeah, you can find those guys. So I don't know. I, I, I think I'm with you on the receiver thing. Yeah. I mean, I think to your, you just like what you said before that supported not drafting a receiver to me, because I think receivers often like one of the deep, I don't, I'm not a draft expert, but it's often one of the deepest positions. I think we see guys go super late who are talented. And when you have a roster like the bills have where it's pretty, pretty deep. I mean, I've actually, I'm writing something on the quarterbacks soon. And I was shocked to see like just educating myself even more on, you know, I'm new to the beat on the bills and Brandon Bean specifically his history of not investing in the cornerback position. I almost like have started talking myself out of it in the first round because they're so hesitant to really invest in that position. But I think having a really good roster like the bills have, why would you draft a wide receiver in the first round, Ben? Like, to me, you can deal with that later. Draft a position that is there's not as much depth. It's harder to get a really good guy later. To me, that's – if there's an interior defensive line guy, great. If there's – I don't know. I If there's a corner there, that would make more sense to me than a wide receiver. Like, I think you want to find then, if you have a roster so deep, I'm sure Brandon Bean will go with the board and all of that. Right. But you, you have the flexibility He always does. Then. Yes, always, always. But you have the flexibility then to kind of do what makes sense and why, you know, unless there's a wide receiver they're absolutely in love with. Um, to me, it just doesn't make the most sense because of mm-hmm. where their roster is. Yeah, I, I've the way I've kind of termed it um, with with Bean is value meets need rather than need versus value. It, it's It's never about, um, what is staring them right in the face. It's it's a, a compilation of, of things. And, you know, th- that quarterback thing that, that you bring up is kind of astounding to see just how little they have done at, at number two corner. Like, they haven't drafted a boundary corner in the top five rounds since Tredavious White. It's, it's wild. wild. <laughs> it's, it's it's absolutely wild. It defies they, they, they just, logic almost. Like it's like that. They, like it's it's really crazy. <laughs> they don't care. They they've been getting stopgap solutions. You know they trotted out Levi Wallace every year, basically since 2018. Um, they brought in Kevin Johnson. They brought in Josh Norman. Um, gosh, uh, they had. Philip Gaines one year back in 2018. <laughs> Sharice Wright was had a cup of coffee in Buffalo with with this regime. Like it just hasn't been great, and they've gotten by. And you know why they've gotten by? Because they've got a really good top corner. They've gotten really great play from their safeties to help kind of cover everything up, and as well as their coverage linebackers are have been really good for a long time now. So I think. I'm not ruling out cornerback by any means. I I don't want that to sound like that, but I don't think it's as much of a a priority to them as, you know, fans are kind of going, no, you got to take a corner. 
hey, they're going to move up the board and take Sauce Gardner. I'm like, I, I'm just not sure. Whoa. Like, I, 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 <laughs> that would be I a see, big I, jump, everyone. I think he's supposed to go. Is he supposed to be like top 10? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, actually, we, we, we can get into that because I, <laughs> uh, I do have a spicy little idea. Um, I will say one thing on that, though, is just that like, the one factor here that could go make the bills go against logic the one thing that's been sticking out to me is the health of Tredavious White um mm -hmm. I think the bills obviously know where he is with his rehab but like if he is not ready to go week one to me like they need like it becomes more of a need if like his health is more in question so I do think that's one thing that's different from other years is that he's recovering from this major injury and without him, it's a truly, truly bleak position room. So I just feel yeah. like that's worth putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. And they could also kind of satisfy that that need because Diggs uh, just signed his extension, maybe freed up some more cap room. Maybe they go sign Joe Hayden. Maybe they go sign another veteran corner out there. There, there are – if they can convince a cornerback who has never gotten a, a championship before – to say, hey, come on in for two, three million bucks. I think they could make a pretty compelling case after signing Von Miller and re-signing Stefan Diggs and having Josh Allen and all of these other things that they they have going uh, in their advantage. It's so, an okay that's... team. It's an okay defense to want yeah. to come be a part of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that that's that's an alternative way to go about it. Uh, we started this with the whole wide receiver thing, and I I think I'm I'm in your camp almost completely. Uh, it depends on like if one of the the big names really falls down to them, but even then, I kind of wonder if they can just make up for it in the second or third rounds because they do have a at least a two year solution at wide receiver with Diggs and Davis. The one thing that they don't have is a locked-in slot receiver. And what kind of dissuades me from, from them going after one of those early on in the draft is because I kind of think they're going to de-emphasize the slot receiver position a little bit this coming year. You know, they when they were at their most successful at the end of last year, they were running a lot of two tight end, which gave them the threat to run. And this kind of goes into the running back theory, by the way, but I won't, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> the, they did a lot of two tight end with Dawson Knox and Tommy Doyle, but it was successful somehow, even though teams knew that Tommy Doyle was probably not going to run a route. And if he did, they could probably cover it in the goal line area, like the, like what happened at the end of the year. So, but they still ran those type of plays to keep the defense guessing a little bit more and one of their one of their big signings this year well maybe not big but like a a, a, a semi-big signing was oj howard and he comes in and he can help them run more too tight end stuff and maybe give them a little bit more of a disguised approach with their offense and if they if they're running too tight end that takes a receiver off the field obviously just based on logic so i I wonder if maybe, you know, finding that slot receiver is something that can wait to rounds two, three, four, five, and seeing what they can get, you know, in a maybe a Calvin Austin from from Memphis, a small speedy guy who's kind of built like Isaiah McKenzie. Um, 
you know, Khalil Shakir out of, uh, out of Boise state. Like there's, there's a bunch of these little, uh, these slot receivers that they can probably get on day two or day three that, uh, could help them. And they wouldn't have to depend on them because they probably weren't going to depend on a rookie receiver to a grand scale anyway. We all heard you taking shots at Tommy Doyle, by the way. That was, he, he really appreciated <laughs> that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. sorry, but, Tommy. <laughs> I thought the O.J. Howard signing was actually, like, the timing of it, I think, because it came so close to Von Miller, you know, all that nonsense, um, it kind of got, you know, less attention than I thought it should mm-hmm. have. I thought it was a really, really smart signing. Um, Dawson Knox, obviously, like, what a season last year, and Hopefully, I mean, for the Bills, they'll hope that he can only get better. But, like, why not add a really, like, a tight end that teams have to worry about? Like, actually, as a receiver, again, no shots to our guy Tommy Doyle here. but He heard you as well. (laughs) So sorry, Tommy. Um, But I do think, like, it made so much sense. And, like, why not, you know, add competition, even for Dawson, like, someone to really, like, push him and just another weapon for Josh. So, Again, I just felt like that's worth noting. Really, really, I that was honestly like maybe, I mean, I thought they made some really good signings, but probably one of my favorites for this offense. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I agree with you. I The more we talk about it, the less I want, think that it's wise to pick a wide receiver um, early. I, I do see the point where they need some something else at slot because, I mean, I don't know about Jamison Crowder. Jamison, no, he's 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 still good. Like there was a a, a game a couple of years ago that that he racked up like thirteen catches against the Bills. That and was it a was, one it was, game. Everyone points to this one game. He's like I'm, t- I'm but I'm but I'm telling you, these things matter to like uh, to teams when they remember that that type of thing. And I also remember after that game, uh, because the Bills won. Uh, I remember Leslie Frazier going to the podium and and basically being like, you know, congrats on your 13 catches. <laughs> Our goal is to keep them underneath. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> which is kind of crazy for Leslie Frazier. But I, I think I think he can still he, he is perfectly capable to do ex- everything that they need from that position. And when they need a little bit more speed or they want that jet sweep action, they have Isaiah McKenzie, too. So. Yeah, I, I think we're we're both of the same belief. It's just yeah. it's it's not I don't know. Unless the right guy is there that they think can be an absolute star. Um but I've also seen some people that I respect their their draft opinions kind of think that this this uh, draft class is overrated at wide receiver. So there's just some just some food for thought. Um I, I think I think I am getting you closer to the running back argument than anything. But no, no, but no. I, I, no, I, won't, no. I, won't, I won't I won't <laughs> I won't go there. Watch it. Watch when they, when they happen, people will like be swearing at me if 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 it actually does happen. I don't even know if it will. But the history um, of drafting a running back in the first round is so poor. Like it ages so poorly that mm-hmm. I will never. No circumstance. I think the second round, any day two, if they want to draft a running back day two, cool. I think that's sure. Fine, you can make the argument. You will never convince me that it's worth taking a running back, in the, especially with the Bills' offense. I, I, just, I won't get there. I think there's other positions that make so much more sense. So I will never, ever be 100% on drafting a running back in the first round. I, and I hear you. <laughs> I, used to, I used to be of, of the same belief. Um, 
And now uh, you're a new man. <laughs> I am because of because of uh, too high defenses, and because of how prevalent it was against like really good passing offenses last year, especially like the Bills, especially against the Chiefs. Like there were times where the Bills and Chiefs were a shell of themselves on offense, and you know, like like I kind of said before, like with the OJ Howard thing. It, it feels like they want to try and open things up more for, for Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wonder if having that, that dynamic back in there that can help them, you know, be a three down asset and, you know, be a complimentary piece in 2022 and then be a three down asset moving forward. I think, I wonder if that kind of sways it a little bit for them. We know that Brandon Bean is not opposed to it. He said that he said as much last April um, and, he was certainly a, a part of the Christian McCaffrey sensation down in Carolina. When, he, when I was just about him. to say he was on, he was a part of that front office. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there is there is some logic to it, um, and you know, from a monetary standpoint, while yes, it's not ideal for the running back to you know be the. 20th or 21st highest paid running back in the league immediately if you take him in the late first but you do have roster control for five years you don't have to dip into a second contract with the guy you know you're basically getting him to the prime for the prime of his career and the fifth year option is like the lowest of any position in the league because it's been devalued for for so long to the point where it's like I don't know, six, seven million bucks. And you could put up with that for a year without having to dish out Ezekiel Elliott money where the team regrets it basically right after they sign it. I don't know. It's, it's just food for thought. I'm I'm not trying to sway anybody out there, but. (laughs) Well, you're not. So. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Let me ask you one thing though, related to that, because you watch a lot of film and I'm curious, do you think, and this is very like, you know, who the offense might look a little different next year and all that. But do you think Josh Allen is facing as much too high as he did this past year next season? Or do teams have to adjust? Do you Because now they're going to be expecting it, have a whole offseason to prepare for more of those looks. Like, do we see something else from defenses against Josh Allen next year? Yeah, I, you know, it. it's interesting because it kind of and you know this as well as I do. It's kind of all uh, it just it's a merry-go-round of, of yeah. different defenses to try and to try and beat. <laughs> and I think right now the uh, the big push, the the big trend of defenses is this too high safety look against teams like the Bills, the Chiefs, the Chargers, everything like that. I think the the counterpunch is running more too tight end, maybe even running the ball a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I know people don't want to love to hear that but it might be the way to back or not back them off but bring them closer to the line of scrimmage and then from there if they start to creep toward the line of scrimmage because there's that threat to run which by the way I mean you heard McDermott all last year kind of throwing you know minor (laughs) shade at Brian Dable he loves when there's yeah I know he loves (laughs) when there's that threat to run so if if they have that and they're utilizing these these two tight ends, make them creep up, then that allows the explosive passing attack to come back again. It allows play action to become a lot more of a factor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I yeah I I think there's 
a lot of logic to try and you know switch it up and yeah. i do th i do think and i don't know i, I don't want to be off base here but because mcdermott and and first time coordinator offense offensive coordinator ken dorsey will be working together i wonder if maybe that this offense could become a little bit more in the way that McDermott envisions. Not to say that he's going to be like, hands-on, you have to call this, you have to call this, like, sync, bye, 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 puppets on a string sort of deal. Um, but I think more than anything, it could have an influence as to where McDermott sees defenses in the NFL going in 2022. Yeah. I think you just supported your running back in the first round argument. Did I? <laughs> I talked to you in a little bit, a little bit, but I still do not support it. But I think it'll just okay. be interesting now that we've had, you know, I just think it'll be really interesting to see what this Bills offense like looks like and how we see. I, it's going to be, to me, like we saw such a trend from defenses last year and like kind of what you're saying, like how the response will be. I just think I'm looking forward to it. Like I think it'll yeah. be really, really interesting to see that kind of chess match almost yeah 100% um I will say to the running back thing before <laughs> I get into the the spite another spicy draft idea that that I that I wrote about today um Ooh. yeah I know uh <laughs> this the same day that I that I posted my mock with Brees Hill going to the Bills Brees Hall going to the Bills as did the uh the vaunted Daniel Jeremiah at 25th overall so I, you know, he knows a lot more about these draft prospects than I certainly do. Um, he's constantly had Brees Hall in his top thirty uh, of his big board. There's, I don't know, it, it's just, just something. I'm, I'm just so I'm just everyone when walk the Bills back. do draft a running back <laughs> in the first round, everyone come for Joe B. Just remember this moment, and then <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. Like last year, I was, I'm like. They should not draft a running back in, in the first round because there was a lot of talk about Travis Etienne. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, you know, Marcel, who uh, covered the Bills for ESPN last year, he was basically, you know, saying, hey, look out for this, look out for this. And, you know, I didn't really agree with the logic based on where the certain contracts were at that point in time. But now Singletary's in his contract year um, and they really have nothing behind it. And they also tried to add J.D. McKissick in the offseason. So look at look at you baiting me into into giving more <laughs> running back running back supporting evidence. Uh, all right, what is your what is your most unpopular draft take right now? Oh my gosh, I don't know if I is the wide receiver one a popular one. Um, it's popular, but I'm wondering if I mean, if you just have something that you see and you're like, nope, I disagree. Outside of the wide receiver thing, it's okay if you don't. I definitely, I mean, spot. the running back thing for sure. I okay. mean, I think I definitely don't have one that's super. I do think I will say this. I think trading, and we kind of reference this, and I don't think this is like a hot take or anything, but I feel like there's no need at all to trade up. Like to me, like those scenarios where it's like a sauce gardener kind of guy, like the Bills have so enough picks this year that. I think I would prefer to see them trade back at 25. Like, I don't think there's no need that they have to take care of that is worthy of trading up. So when I see like those scenarios to me, like there's no logic to that, or I shouldn't say that there's little <laughs> logic to that because 
this is we've talked about this this is a really good roster I don't understand like to me depth is almost like is the most important thing so trading up and like losing picks and like trading up just doesn't make much sense to me because to get like a guy like Sauce Gardner you'd have to give up so much and I don't think there's a need to do that so that's the one to me it's not like the hottest thing but I just trading up to me from 25 is just never going to be worth what they'd have to give up so. See, th- this is why we get along because that that is part of my spicy draft take. Oh, this, and that's, right. that's why we get along because we have similar draft no. takes. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's that it's that this is dissimilar to to your draft take just now oh, because fantastic. Please, right, <laughs> right, wonderful, wonderful podcasting through and through. You're so welcome. Uh, I think, I think, um, I'm kind of compelled by the and i've been thinking about it a lot over the past like five days or so and i'm compelled by the idea of kyle kyle hamilton to the bills um and i understand i understand that it is not (laughs) it is not an immediate need but if there was ever a brandon bean guy in this draft that meets positional value times really young and still developing times freaky traits times you have two aging safeties on your roster right now. He is the guy like Kyle Hamilton is described as, you know, rare. I've seen some people use the term unicorn with him, which I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess, but he he does all of these things well to where you can use him in so many different areas, whether it be, you know, dropping him down into the box, um, having him play the deep middle because he has the fluidity to do so. He's six foot four. He's got super long arms. The Bills really don't give a shit about about 40 times with their safeties because Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, DeMar Hamlin and... Uh, Jaquan Johnson have all run somewhere between the four five four and four seven uh, forty yard dash. So Kyle Hamilton's four five nine. They wouldn't give a shit. Um, and then from there, you have this plan moving forward, which is why to me, if they were to make a big move up the board, to do so at a position that they value so highly, and Jordan Poyer being on the final year of his deal is a lot of the evidence here for me because he is 31 years old or soon will be 31 years old at the end of the month. And I, they're going to have to make some sort of decision because both or not both Poyer Edmonds Knox, they're all free agents at the end of the year. So it's for me, Kyle Hamilton feels like something that could be a potential long-term solution and Bean has more than anything drafted for traits a lot in the past. And there also just so happens to be one of his best friends in the world who has a who has a second first round pick in the top 10 by the name of Joe Shane, um, who probably wants to move out of that spot and will probably do so with the with the right compensation. But you know, I, I I would have to think it would help the trade negotiations between the two sides as long as it helps both. And so I, I just, for me, Hamilton 
is a really compelling case for this team. And if if you're wondering, okay, what the hell is he going to do in 2022? McDermott was, uh, it, he kind of had a similar situation when they drafted Shaq Thompson uh, back, I don't remember what, what it was, like 15, maybe 16, I can't remember. Um, maybe even before that. But they didn't have a spot for him because of Keekley and Thomas Davis, but they manufactured one, whether it be third linebacker, big nickel, um, special teams, all this other stuff. I think that could be a kind of a way to deploy him in the interim until Poyer moves on. Then you get him as your full-time strong safety that can interchange with with Micah Hyde. Have I done anything to convince you? You were doing well <laughs> until you brought up Shaq Thompson. Because well, look, they, a, they did it. <laughs> I have a lot of hot Sha- Shaq Thompson takes that I know. are not for this audience, probably. Probably a better, more for a Panthers audience, but fair. Um, yeah, fair. not the biggest Shaq Thompson fan. But what I will say, you did convince me some. But my question to you would be to that, what would you give up to move up to get? Like, what's what's a good value to you? Like, is it worth giving up? like next year's first or next year's second to move up to get him? Like, is that yeah. enough value to this year's roster if you're losing so much next year by investing in the future? Yeah, I want. I wonder if it if, if this year even matters to them. Like, it, I'm sure it does some, but I don't know that it's necessarily, if, if they believe that this guy can be a star, isn't that just the way Brandon Bean operates like he sees something and everything we've seen out of Kyle Hamilton is that uh you know his draft his draft stock is slipping like I've seen in mock drafts he's been falling into the into the teens even uh, at sometimes you know conservatively he'll probably get past the top six which is why I'm kind of thinking that seven is this spot where it first starts to make sense just because of the relationship with Joe Shane but if if he is compelled and says okay we think that this player is the best player in the draft. And we don't think there's any way he should have went below second overall. I could totally see Bean making that call and say, all right, safety is really important to the system. You know, Joe Shane, here's the first round pick from us next year. Uh, along with, along with 25, um, you you can go try and utilize it to move up to get your quarterback in 2023. They'll go get what they believe could be uh, a potential perennial All Pro in Kyle Hamilton with with how much vigor people talk about him. And I, I could definitely see Bean work himself into that line of thinking based on what he values the most out of players. Knowing Jordan Poyer, <laughs> the way mm. you know. A season of Jordan Poyer's successor <laughs> being on the rock. I-, I do wonder about him. Uh, I I do wonder about because he is in the final year of his deal. I do wonder whether or not that it is going over well that all of these other people are getting paid. And you know, mm-hmm. I it's just it's just a thought because. You know, obviously you look around the league and you want to be paid what you're worth. And Jordan Poyer has been really good for this team. And he's coming off a, a really great season, probably the best of his NFL career. Um, and he's going into the final year of his deal. And he probably doesn't have too many more bites at the apple because of where he is at his age. So I wouldn't, I, like, if I were him, I would be like, yeah, let, let's let's talk. But from a Bills perspective, like, are you 
going to invest that money when you have a 24, 25-year-old Tremaine Edmonds needing to get paid and Dawson Knox all the same, and you still have Von Miller on your books, Josh Allen's cap hit's about to go up to $39 million. It, they're not not saying like they're going to like imminently move him or anything like that, but you also have to smartly prepare for your future. I don't know. I, what, what what do you think about, about Poyer's stand, uh, status on the team and everything like that? Well, it's a really interesting position. I think you've made good points there. I do, because I think it's hard, though, because breaking up that, you know, I think we, how many times mm-hmm. has it said last year, the best safety duo in the end. I mean, I don't think it was particularly close, like to have two guys back there better than Poyer and Hyde played last year. I mean, that was crucial for that defense, but he is. I mean, how much do you pay a guy like that? Um, right. And it's a, it's a question because if you let all, like you said, all of those guys, you don't touch any of those contracts and you kind of, it'll be chaos. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> next off season will be, I just let alone if Dawson Knox has a good season, how much you'll have to pay him. Like before right. even getting into that conversation, like it's, it's tough. I, I do think like if I was Brandon Bean, I would try to get something done with Jordan Poyer now. Um, I'd sign him to like a two year extension. I think he's played well enough that I would be okay with having him for longer. I do think his age is a concern. Um, and if he can, you know, keep it up, but I think he's played well enough lately and he's such a key part of this defense that I understand what you're saying. And I think if there's a guy there, they're in love with, I do think it would make a weird locker room vibe <laughs> for Jordan Boyer, mm-hmm. but I yeah, do- sure. But I, so that's what my first instinct is, is to keep him longer term. But I mean, their defense is only going to get, you know, they've, they've got these aging guys. I mean, how old is mm-hmm. Von Miller? They added a, <laughs> they're adding these guys who are older. I mean, most of the free agents they signed, we don't, this hasn't really come up either. Most of the free agents they signed are like near 30 or over 30. Like they added a lot of veteran, not all of them, but they added some veteran experience to the locker room. And so how many aging guys do you want? You know, like you got to get younger talent in there. So especially in the secondary, which has now, you know, Trey is however old he is. And then Micah mm-hmm. and Jordan, of course. So the argument is there, but I do think there, because he's coming off such a good season, I would try to take care of that sooner rather than later. Cause I think if you let it go into next off season, I don't know, then it might, he might end up asking for, more than you want to pay a 31, 32 year old safety. So they, it's not an they, easy situation at all. No, certainly not. Um, and I, you know, I was texting with some people before the show, um, just, you know, about random bills things. And, and the, the name of the name of Poyer, I, I brought up the name of Poyer in conversation and, and someone's like, yeah, I think both of those safeties are underpaid and excellent. <laughs> so, it it does make me wonder about you know whether or not Poyer wants to get something done, whether the Bills want to get something done, and there's also this kind of juxtaposition with it as well. Like if if you're the Bills, if you're Brandon Bean, and let's say you can only invest in two of three between Edmonds, Knox, and Poyer, it probably boils down to Edmonds versus Poyer at that point. And would you want a 24 going into his age 25 season, Tremaine Edmonds? And then invest in a in a safety on a rookie deal, or 
would you rather invest in a, an age 32 season Jordan Poyer uh, next off season and then start over at linebacker? That gets into so many things. <laughs> right. I know. I, that is that is not a clear answer at all. I know. I know. And especially I think you think of those two guys, like when you said those names together, like I think from a leadership, like leading the defense standpoint, I think that gets into some interesting conversations because they're very different people, yet they mm-hmm. both have key roles like on that, you know, like obviously Tremaine's, you know, role speaks for itself as he is, you know. And they love <laughs> Tremaine. We both we we both know they love Tremaine. Yes, that's not the question. Yeah, but so I mean, I would hope that they don't view it in that way. Is what I yeah. would say. I think you yeah. have to figure out a way to take care of both if, in a smart way. But I do think, I mean, if they decide to let Poyer go, like not take care of it before this season, and he doesn't play as you know, if his play starts to decline, which is a possibility. That's what happens when you get older, um, unless you're Tom Brady. Um, that like, <laughs> right. I think, or Von Miller for that matter. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, but I guess that's maybe another conversation. Um, mm. but yeah, I mean, I think you have, then you get into, I feel like if they let, I, my point is if they let Poyer go, I think it's like not take care of it before the season. I think it becomes less likely to me that mm-hmm. he resigns because I think there's more factors that involve and who knows what might present itself next off season and where they are and what Poyer wants. Like, I think you get into more unknowns if, and it becomes then less likely. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's just, uh, these are like, it always, it always happens to me around this time of draft year or, you know, we just, we just get absolutely hit over the head with the same idea over and over and over again um, about what a team should do, where, where yeah. they're looking, everything like that. And it's just, it's just trying to think alternative paths to what they could actually do because, you know, the, the bills have been somewhat predictable in the first round. Um, the past, I want to say couple of times they've picked like at Oliver, they really needed a three tech. Um, they really needed a pass rusher last year. That was that was entirely predictable. I, I I don't I don't think the same about them this year, and uh, I think I think it's going to be a fun kind of day because I think anything is on the table, whether it be trading up, trading down, taking a corner, taking a wide receiver, taking a running back, taking a defensive end, taking a linebacker. Even that's something we didn't even get into. Um, yeah. So, and that's real. That would make a lot of sense too. Yeah, in a similar way sure. that safety would. You know, like there's, there's, and you know, they like, you know, if they draft a linebacker this year, pop them on special teams. Sean will be mm-hmm. thrilled. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. would be, and that, it would be a great scenario. I do have some. Can I say something totally unrelated? Yes. To this part of this. Hundred <laughs> percent. You're very high on Von Miller. <laughs> I am clearly by. I think they overpaid a little for Von Miller, and I want, and I think he's very good. And I think he'll have success and be a key piece for this defense. But I just feel like I haven't been able to really put it out there that I think they overpaid a little bit for yeah. him. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I don't know if I would have paid him that much for that, even for three years, like that much of a commitment to yeah. me is, I don't know. 
I think he played really well last year, but in a limited sample size. And I just feel like I needed to get that off my chest. So, <laughs> there it, it is. I mean, it's it's a daunting contract, and I don't know that they would have been able to get him had they not done it that way. And I think that that's probably a big. I mean, you watched you watched his free agent yeah. video just like I did. By the way, reality sh- TV. <laughs> like I, glimpse into like his soul. I don't right. know what that was. <laughs> exactly. Shout out to uh Chris Finelli for popping in there twice. Um Chris <laughs> Finelli is a Bills PR guy. I hope he listens to this, even though he probably won't. Um now he has to. <laughs> yeah, I might I might tell him. I texted him immediately. I'm like, oh, I see you stealing the show. And he, and he texted me, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Just a star, yeah. a real star. Yeah. Uh where was I? Oh, the Miller thing. I was I was very um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I didn't know what I was going to see when, when I like jumped into his film from last year and I came away being more optimistic about how he projects into the future. Now, you know, money notwithstanding because yeah. it, it's, it's a lot. And I think you, you make a great point there, but I expected to see a guy who was overly reliant on his explosiveness and the bend around the edge and everything like that, but he really didn't utilize it too often to the point where when he did it, it was it kind of caught the offensive tackles off guard. He he is very smart. He he knows how to vary up his rushes and everything like that. Um he knows how to set up his teammates. He he's really a lot more physical than I expected him to be. Uh, just diving into this section of his career, and it it makes it makes me think that he projects better into 2023. Now, I don't know about 2024 because who the heck knows? But they can always get out from the contract after t- 2023 if they really wanted to. Yeah. They just wouldn't save anything. So I I I, I was. I was rather impressed by by what he's able to do outside of the bend, which is ridiculous to watch. But he's 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 pretty solid. So, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. The money the money is is tough, and they know that that. I mean, he's what a five million cap hit this year. That that's coming due next year. Um, yeah. Now it's just a matter of making it work. My my biggest question about him is that he's clearly to me anyway at his best on the left side and standing up. And that's something that they've never had before in the McDermott defense and the Frazier defense. Mm -hmm. And Greg Rousseau literally did not take a snap on the right side at all last year. (laughs) So what do they do? What do they do? That's why I'm like, hey, maybe they draft a defensive end at 25. Who knows? I honestly wouldn't. That wouldn't. Everything's on the table, thing. right? But then I think that's a real, real bad sign for AJ Epinesa. Like I don't like. To me, he's the one that like you start looking at these guys and like they can't keep investing yeah. in the position and like just keeping these guys around with it. Not like not to say he's not going to be on the roster or something, but like eventually, like these guys aren't going to play. Uh-huh. And like you invested high draft picks in them, and like to me, that's the big like. Okay, you add Von Miller great good someone's got to step up and like you said greg russo <laughs> where is he playing like uh-huh. and what does it mean for these other guys like that's a fascinating part of it that like they invested a lot of draft capital in the position 
And now they need those guys to perform because mom's going to get so much attention. Like it's, they need those guys to step up and is it investing again in the position? Is it, you know, who's going to make that jump? Um, It's fascinating because none of those draft picks have, I mean, the two guys from last year, it's too early to say really much of anything, but like, Mm. Who's going to step up? It's just, it's going to be really interesting. And I I would not be opposed to them addressing the position again. Because Epi- I think it's that important. Yeah, I agree. Epinesa is inching dangerously close to Zay Jones territory where they might wind up shipping him out. Um, but if he doesn't prove it during the summer or early on in the season, because that's what happened. They gave Zay Jones chances into his third season. Uh, they benched him one week. And he was traded two days later. Um, so that's he's he's veering into that range right now. The one idea that I did have that I don't know. Anytime I say this name, fans just immediately want to throw throw me out of <laughs> throw me out of <laughs> their house. Of what? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. But are you out of their ears? Like <laughs> yeah, out of their ears, out of their eyes. Just click the X button on my article completely. Um, but because Von Miller is so good on the left side, and now they might have some freed up cap space, what about bringing Jerry Hughes back for a year? Who yeah. said? Who says no? <laughs> who says no? They they used Mario Addison in that in that uh, third rusher role a bunch last year. Hughes clearly is unsigned right now. Market's kind of falling flat. If you can bring him in for. A couple of million, you know, he really loves it here. His family loves it here. You know, he's a big fan of the Grange in Hamburg. I know that for a fact. <laughs> so, for good like, reason. It's delicious. Right, right. So. that's what I'm saying. So that's that's not why he would resign, obviously. Um, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. If they give him a couple gift cards, you know, maybe he'll be... Sure. I would, it would entice me. Food always does the trick. Same, but, same. But, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be the worst idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's just he can be a rotational right end. Like, yeah. let's say, let's say they have a similar setup to last year, where they early downs they keep they put Von Miller on the right side, then left side they have Greg Rousseau, and then when it gets to obvious passing situations, have Miller go from the left, have Jerry Hughes go from the right, and then you've got two guys who are really good at applying pressure. And the big thing on Hughes that that you saw last year, like he just hasn't been able to finish the play, but. Now Miller is there who can finish the play. And Jerry Hughes last year was, I believe, top 15 in in pressure percentage um, and one-on-one wins. I, that's I'm very surprised he's still without a team. Unless his, uh, I guess, what he's looking for is not justifiable to a team with a 34-year-old pass yeah. rusher. But it's, or the role he wants to play. Right, right, like exactly. What, does he want to be like... Did he enjoy last year? You know, like as a more mm-hmm. rotate. I mean, it seems like I don't want to speak for it. I mean, it seems like he would take that with the Bills. But I wonder, oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it speaks to us having this conversation and also being comfortable with them taking someone at that position in the first round. Speaks so much to the young guys they have on the roster <laughs> and yeah. like the lack of like conviction that they can be long term answers. So I don't know if I trust. This is, I think Brandon Bean is a phenomenal GM and I think he's done a really good job. He has struggled to draft 
this position so mm-hmm. far. Like mm-hmm. he has yet to prove that he they've been able to figure that out. So I, I just think that's an interesting, like we're comfortable having this conversation it speaks a lot to what is on the roster at that position and like the unknown involved in that. That's a great point. Um, I think we've covered basically every position on the roster. But we uh, could talk forever, Joe. <laughs> I know, I know. This is great. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you before we uh, we wrapped this episode up is you have been in Buffalo for what we have found to be seven or eight months. We're not really sure because neither of us can do math. Um, <laughs> what has been your favorite part about Buffalo as you've gotten here? Oh, no. On the spot. Um, I mean, it's so corny to say like the food but (laughs) (laughs) that's like my favorite part of any city so that's not great um I mean I think like so this has been this is a bigger conversation and I know we're probably running out of time but I will say that like the people to me have been like I think to answer your question like my favorite part and my most like surprising part to an extent in the like in the sense that I knew coming in that like Bills fans were super passionate and like very, very different from Panthers fans, um, mm-hmm. which is no shock to Panthers fans, but just a very different vibe. And I've been surprised at like how it is so cool to cover, like to be in this city where a team is so important. And it has, you know, sometimes I don't love the Twitter chatter and like all that, but it's <laughs> all, you know, that aside, like how much this city cares about the bills and like the vibe that comes from that is so cool. And like, I love football. I love like seeing people get excited about a team and like it bringing people together. This is also corny, but it's like <laughs> my favorite part because I miss that in Charlotte because it doesn't really exist to the same extent at all. And I just think it's a really cool part of Buffalo that like I couldn't have anticipated like going into the grocery store and it's like, people are talking about the bills or like there's bills stuff. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. how much it takes over the city. It has probably been my favorite part um, because it's, it's something that I obviously deal with on a daily basis for my job, but it also is just like cool how much people care. Um, so yeah, I think that's been my favorite part, even though that's like a long <laughs> whole thing and the food, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to pick just that because the food in Buffalo, I have been, it's not like, I was like, Oh, the wings, you know, all that, but like, good food yeah. and that's a very very important thing to me so there, there's a reason Buffalo. there's a reason people stay and and a food is the, the food is a big part um yeah to, like to your point my my wife's uh sister lives down in charlotte and and she's got three kids and they're they're one little boy um who's like i think he's in middle school now and he's pretty apathetic about the Panthers in general. And I just that's think that's, whole city. that's the like whole a microcosm city. of it, right? <laughs> yes. So that's, that's just it. It's, it was just, I think for me, it was like the transition. Like, I don't know if I had come from covering a different NFL team, if it would have been as stark, but it is like, I think it's somewhat a Buffalo thing that yeah. like it's to this extreme and yeah, it's, it's not the most Panthersy vibes. Yeah. Charlotte, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's definitely a different, different uh feel here in buffalo they the the way that i describe it to anybody it that that is in the media and like oh what's it like to cover the bills in buffalo i'm like well they will critique your analysis of what you think about the fourth cornerback on the roster (laughs) is the best way i can describe it 
And I know this is like, I so knew true. this was going to come, but when Christian Wade got like officially, you know, like a mm-hmm. released on the wire, the response that tweet got, I was like, guys, it's a Friday afternoon. <laughs> like, oh, this yeah. is, but it, it comes with it. And it's, it's a, it's an, just an interesting, it's a cool part of it. It's cool to have people care. Although sometimes it does make me nervous to <laughs> share certain things. So yeah, I, it's a, it's a dynamic. I'll say. Yeah, I, I hear you there. Yeah. Christian Wade goes into the preseason hall of fame with Derek Rogers uh, from like 20, I don't even know, 13. Oh God, who is that one receiver a few years ago? It's usually always a running back or a wide receiver because they make big flashy plays in the, in, in the preseason. And, you know, people get excited about it because it's, it's no fault to them, but like, you know, from a media perspective, you see him at practice every day. Like, yeah, they're probably not going to make the team. Um, but cool story because Christian Wade's run that that one preseason game was absolutely electric and awesome and a cool moment in an otherwise milk toast preseason. Anyway, hey, there's a bunch of guys that don't go into the preseason Hall of Fame, so true. it's true. a nice spot to be in. So true, true, absolutely right. Um, all right, I feel like I have stolen way too much of your time. Uh, so Elena, thank you so much for for joining us on this episode i you absolutely smashed it i guarantee i get a bunch of uh responses on twitter being like hey when are you having elena back on again so great job and thank you so much for joining us well thank you so much for having me i appreciate it so that is elena getzenberg be sure to check all of her work out over at espn you can also Follow her at A Getzenberg, A G E T Z E N B E R G. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. We will reconvene in a couple of weeks as we get closer to the NFL draft, maybe spit out some more hot takes um, and figure out exactly what the Bills are going to do. And I do th- expect Brandon Bean to talk at some point in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what he's thinking when we get closer to it. All right. My name is Joe Biscalia for Elena Getzenberg. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next time. See you then.